Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the number one sports podcast on the entire planet. I'm your host, Drake Tharp, and man, I've got a lot, a lot in store for you guys today. I know it's a Friday, but what better way to get your weekend kicked off than with an episode of Drake's Corner? Um, yeah, I fell ill around Tuesday, couldn't get out of bed, couldn't do any sports takes except like laying down, so I couldn't put on a show, but uh, we're here, it's Friday. Welcome to the show, everybody. Um, so the NBA playoffs underway, as we know. Um, it's very interesting. These games have been very good. They've been very good to the last minute. I like them all. I like what's going on in the, the conference semifinals. Um, it's going well. My predictions are staying put. I still got Suns, uh, Suns Bucks rematch of the finals last year. I got Suns in six as my champions. But one one story I'd really like to talk about is how the Memphis Grizzlies have caught large amounts of momentum, all right? They're they're hot right now. And if a lot if you haven't noticed, you're lying, okay? They're like they remind me of a hot March Madness team. Not, you know, they're they're kind of an underdog while they're a two seed. I really don't think that two seed speaks for their their rebuild success and their marketability and the team nobody thinks of the Memphis Grizzlies when they think of Western Conference basketball Western Conference NBA basketball you think of the Lakers the the super teams the Warriors um, Clippers with Kawhi Paul George you think of all these star attraction teams and then you have your two seated Grizzlies who have rebuilt from the ground up led by John Morant and it's it's like a it's like a perfect story right now I can't help but cheer for them. They remind me a lot of the Hawks last year. The Atlanta Hawks, they made it all the way to the conference finals. They completely upset the Philadelphia 76ers in seven. Uh, Trey Young was a living legend villain, so to speak. Uh, They're the team that caught fire and advanced all the way to the East Finals, and nobody expected it. They they caught fire. Uh, They had a good scheme going for them, uh, led by Trey Young, and then surrounded by a lot of good role players uh, like John Collins, and now the Mem- the Grizzlies are that team. Uh, nobody expected this from them this year, I don't think. Um, but yeah, they're the young, the young, hot team that wants to compete. They're dogs, and I can't help but cheer for them right now, especially against the Warriors. I'm not a huge fan of the Warriors. Uh, you know, it's just like the, the whole dynasty complex, and what you know, they're so good you hate them. It's kind of like that. I'll admit they're good. Uh, while their seed is two, they're a two seed in the West. No one's expected them to actually compete with Golden State, uh, but they have a game on them now. It was in Memphis. We'll see if they can win on the road here. Uh, they've sh- they've shown they can win though, and they've also shown that they're dogs and they're tough. Uh, speaking of toughness, it can turn into you know so to speak dirty play. I don't think it's dirty play. Um, we'll get into NBA suspensions. That's one of my topics here soon. So, uh, but the Memphis Grizzlies. Uh, they're hot. A lot of momentum. I like them. A successful, another successful rebuild as what we've seen. If you take a look at Phoenix and Memphis, take a look at them five years ago, bottom of the West. Now they're all the way to the top. Rebuilds work in the NBA. Don't rely on making super teams. I'm sick of seeing it. It works not ha- less than half the time. Um, yeah, rebuild from the ground up and you got yourself uh, you know, solid team. Phoenix and Memphis have proven that. So, yeah, I just wanted to make a point there on the Grizzlies and their momentum. Uh, Next on the scene, Ben Simmons. I can't help but not talk about him. How are we not going to talk about Ben Simmons? Uh, You know, but I'll have to give him an edge here. 
The media single-handedly made Ben Simmons look like a stone-cold bitch, okay? Let's be real here. Um, you had NBA superstars from the past and present calling out Ben Simmons, calling him a wuss, calling him every name in the book you can, and, you know, he never responded to these claims. Uh, you know, there was rumors and speculation that Ben Simmons was going to return to the NBA playoffs and join the Brooklyn Nets and give that give the boost they needed, and at the last second in Game 4 against the Celtics, he said, no, I'm not playing. And we all thought, oh, he's just being a little wuss about it. He's got tight a tight back or whatever, uh, but that was proven wrong. Uh, ben Simmons needed surgery, and he his surgery went successful today, luckily. Not luck. I don't know why I said luckily. Um, I wasn't wishing a bad surgery. That's kind of messed up. But, uh, you know, thankfully, that was the word I was looking for. Thankfully, Ben Simmons' surgery went well. In reality, Simmons was hurt and needed surgery. Better coverage could have changed this. You know, the whole the media talking about Ben Simmons 24-7, uh, like he's a, it's a day-to-day injury where he couldn't, couldn't play. Uh, when a man talks about his health, uh, that's, that's where the news should come from. Ben Simmons wasn't, uh, very vocal about his health and when he was going to play. He was just very vocal about his destination and money. And that, that, you know, so to speak, gave off the narrative that he wasn't ready to be a basketball player. He was ready to just sit and make money. Uh, so, you know, don't blame, I can only blame, you know, the top hedge media like ESPN, uh, you know, big reporters like that who have reported Ben Simmons day-to-day. Ben Simmons, you know, uh, isn't playing. It's a day-to-day injury, all that jazz. Uh, but don't blame anybody speculating in sports gossip. You know, like, the sports gossip is what makes sports so intriguing. So having an opinion on the matter is not wrong in any standpoint. But the only wrong people in the situation are, are the those who have set the narrative that Ben Simmons couldn't play or like he was you know leaning off on playing in reality the man needed surgery and you know he waited till the offseason to do to to do so I don't know if it was necessarily you know he obviously doesn't care what people say at this point but you know if he wants the media to shut up that's his call um if that's the case he could have said uh I need surgery but he would never made any vocal standpoint on his health um only vocal standpoint throughout the season was that he wanted out of Philadelphia and you know he kind of got this villain complex going so he did need surgery and uh thankfully it went well I'm looking forward to seeing Ben Simmons uh next year I'm a big fan of Ben Simmons I think he's a good player uh he's a very rare type breed player he's a great facilitator great defense uh and that's what I I like in a basketball player facilitators and defensive players don't get a lot of press um so, but Ben Simmons does get a lot of press, so we'll see if it continues for his play next year. Um, yeah. So, I said earlier I was going to talk about the NBA suspensions, and it is a weird topic because um, not just the suspensions, but, like, the flagrant fouls, the ejections, all that jazz. And it seems like in the mind of NBA officials, okay, accidents cannot seem to happen, Okay. I've seen plays where players go up and they get hit on the wrist uh, by a player attempting a block and they fall down and they get hit with a flagrant foul. Flagrants are intentional fouls and the refs don't seem to, you know, understand that accidents happen in the game. It seems like they're being like players are being punished for the thought of trying to make a defensive play or to make any aggressive play 
you know, overall. Um, take a look. Dylan Brooks suspended for Game 3. Uh, he went up on a block uh, against Gary Payton. Gary Payton suffered a fra- uh, fractured forearm, I believe it was. And Draymond Green was also ejected uh, for kind of a harder foul. Didn't seem dirty to me. Um, you you know a dirty play when you see it, I think. Um, it's not hard to judge a dirty play. Um, I think any person, any logical person, not even a sports fan, can tell you uh, what's right and what's wrong in a, you know, in a sporting event. So I think the refs like to nitpick at what's dirty and what isn't. Uh, hard fouls are a thing and will continue to happen because 90% of them are accidents. Uh, yeah, it's one of those things that's going to keep happening, and it's not protecting. I don't think it's protecting anyone's safety. It's, it's the nature of the game. And it's not like a bunch of NBA players are continuously injured by hard fouls. It's not, I don't think it's one of those things that the NBA needed to crack down on. Okay, there's a lot worse things that happen in the game of basketball uh, than, you know, hard fouls. I think that's, you know, and 90% of them are accidents. There's dirty players. You can't single that out of any sporting league, though. You can't take that out of, you know, football, baseball, basketball. So all in all, I think, you know, the refs really like to nitpick at what's dirty and what's not. Accidents can happen, and I think it needs to be lighter. Light, like, you know, I don't know. I think, you know, the suspension for Dylan Brooks was far off. Draymond Green shouldn't have been ejected in game two. Uh, he was right to, I mean, he flipped off the fans. I think he was more so pissed at the call, and he took it out on the fans. So, yeah, NBA needs to cool it on the suspensions. I'm a little old school. I just want to, yeah put that out there so that covers the nba section of the show let's jump into some college sports talk kind of deal the nil deals uh nil if you don't know is what the college it's kind of the uh acronym for how the college players are basically getting paid now um if through endorsement deals uh with boosters pooling their money together the ncaa has become a pay-for-play place where players can negotiate salaries essentially Uh, if you don't know uh, boosters are people who pay uh basically donate to the university very rich people and when you have a lot of these rich people pooling in money for d1 schools this creates this can create a bank um jordan addison pittsburgh wide receiver transferring for what reason? He won the Bolitnikoff Award. That's the top wide receiver in the nation award in college football. And why is he transferring? He had a year to remember. Pickett left, but it's the same coaching staff. Who knows? Players who have zero reason to transfer other than money, uh, just like Amani Bates. Uh, you know, he had a Memphis. He was at Memphis uh, University this year, kind of struggled through injuries this year. Um, you know, didn't really get a chance to prove himself, but there was nothing on the coaching staff. There was nothing, you know, on Memphis that I, I didn't, I didn't see that, you know, pushed him away. Uh, so we're, it's become the, the transfer portal has essentially become, um, you know, free agency and it's players who have zero reason to transfer other than money is making up about 90% of that transfer pool. So I have an example here. The donor who has drawn the most scrutiny is John Ruiz, a lawyer in Miami whose payroll includes more than uh, 100 Miami Hurricane athletes across a variety of sports. He expects to spend $10 million this year to have South Florida players endorse two companies, LifeWallet and uh, the cigarette racing team. 
Uh, about 10 days ago, Ruiz used his own Twitter account to announce that Miami received a commitment from Kansas State transfer guard. So this isn't even like top of the league, like uh, college basketball players. This is Kansas State. They're pretty average. Uh, so a commitment from Kansas State transfer guard Nigel Pack and that he, Ruiz, signed the Hoops star to a two-year deal for $400,000 a year in college. Uh, so Ruiz tells Sports Illustrated he communicates with player agents to arrange deals, but he is in compliance with state law. So all of this is in compliance with state law, and this player is making $400,000 uh, through a two-year span, basically through deals. And it's become, you know, this guy, this one guy here is paying a player $400,000 Um or it was, yeah, $400,000 in total. Just one guy. So imagine if all these donors for different universities are pooling their money together, which is happening. And this isn't just, you know, this is the Miami Hurricanes. Imagine, like, top universities for football players like Oklahoma, USC, Alabama's got to be a big one, LSU. They have stars all across the board. So, but in essence, he is in compliance with state law. So what does that bring you to? Well, um... Sanctions are needed because the transfer portal, about 95% of it, like I said, is all players looking for better deals. And if it's just players looking for better deals, it's going to become a, you know, a wire for players to just go to top name schools like LSU. Uh, if it's for basketball, say Kansas. If it's for football, say Alabama. Um, you know, and it's just going to, you know, continue to feed these top heavy schools and, you know, kind of push recruiting that way towards bigger schools. And I think recruiting in this sense has kind of lost its touch. I think NIL deals are great, but the transfer portal and recruiting essentially has become a pay-for-play complex, and it's dumb, and I don't like it, and it ruins, like, um, you know, basically the universities who are going to have the most money is going to get the best players. And the donors who are, you know, the richest donors for the schools are going to bring in the best players and it's going to continue to happen. I guess that's what happens when you build an empire of a school like Alabama or, you know, Duke for basketball. Uh, so sanctions are needed. This definitely hurts recruiting and the standpoint of like two star schools, three star schools. So I don't know. It's crazy. It's a crazy thing. I think college athletes making money on their own is great. But when you hit tra the transfer portal, like a free agency complex, it's so it's ruins the whole, you know, the whole purpose of it okay enough with that money talk as much as i love talking about money let's talk about the winners and losers of the nfl draft the nfl draft i love waiting for it i love the day of it it's one of the best things in sports you know to be honest a lot of teams did well uh, i didn't really see a lot of losers i have two loser teams on here three big winners uh so let's go through them first on the list for the dubs the ravens they scored kyle hamilton Tyler Linderbaum and David Ojabo, all potential top 10 picks at one time, and all A-plus players at their positions. Kyle Hamilton, obviously the best scouted safety in the draft. Tyler Linderbaum, arguably the best offensive lineman. David Ojabo, at one point, before tearing his Achilles, was you know a potential top 10 pick in the draft. The Ravens scored big time, and they got a lot of position needs filled. Um, yeah, big time dub for the Ravens. Uh, w number two, the Chiefs. They stole Trent McDuffie, all-star, you know, cornerback who only allowed 111 receiving yards in man-to-man -man coverage all college season, and George Karloftis late and added a potential first-round receiver in Sky Moore. 
they covered all areas of weakness and turned the Tyreek Hill trade into a lot of position upgrades. So, you know, they saved some cap space. They obviously needed help in the secondary. They got a good edge rusher and a potential replacement for Tyreek Hill. I know you can't replace a guy like Tyreek, but Sky Moore is a speedster, and he was uh, slated to go in the first round. He dropped to the second round. Chiefs scored big time. The biggest dub of them all, though, has to be the New York Jets. They added arguably the best of each position in four picks. They got Sauce Gardner at cornerback, Jermaine Johnson on the edge rush, Brees Hall, easily the best running back in the draft, and Garrett Wilson, arguably the best receiver in the draft. So this draft was a huge big step in the Jets' rebuild as now they've picked up two weapons for Zach Wilson and two defensive forces to look forward to in the years coming. Uh, coverage and pass rush is exactly what you need to create turnovers. They added that on the defensive side. Brees Hall and Garrett Wilson are huge weapons that, you know, the Jets will hopefully use wisely. Um, protecting Zach Wilson has to be, you know, area number one, though. They didn't pick up any offensive line, so we'll see. I didn't look at their later round picks, but, um, yeah, we'll see how they do offensive line-wise. If they can protect Zach Wilson, their offense is going to flourish in the future. Uh, to the losers, uh, I got the Patriots, you know, they drafted Cole Strange, a guard at 29. He was a projected, uh, mid second round pick. And they also drafted Tyquan Thornton in the second round, who was a projected day three pick. Uh, and you know, he looks just to be a track star. He put up a very impressive 40 time, uh, but they didn't address needs that they needed. They, and they added a quarterback in the fourth round as well. Uh, Edge rusher they needed, uh, more receiving weapons, but they didn't, you know, grab anybody of, you know, of enamorment per se, Uh, and they didn't really, you know, pick up any more defensive players that they needed. So Patriots could have done better. Uh, There's a lot of talent who they missed on where they were were positioned to grab a few good players, but uh, second L, the Jaguars. First pick in the draft, yes. Trayvon Walker was the combine star. Uh, I personally think this is a reach because his production was limited, and they're only hoping he reaches his ceiling. So I like production with a mixture of ceiling. Like Aiden Hutchinson would have been a good first pick for sure because he produced. His ceiling's high. He can turn into kind of a TJ Watt prototype. So, And they also drafted two linebackers in the second round. Uh, they lost Miles Jack, but they didn't address you know really any offensive needs, and they have a lot of needs that they didn't address. So the Jaguars have an L. I personally just put this there because I didn't like their first pick in the draft with Trayvon Walker. Um, you know, he has a high ceiling, great combine, but other than that, his production was limited, and I just personally feel like there's a lot better players out there like Thibodeau, Hutchison. Uh, they could have grabbed and maybe even a corner at one. I don't know. But Walker was, you know, kind of a late first-round pick in the early mock draft season, and he skyrocketed, so... I don't know. We'll see on Trayvon Walker, but it's a loss for me, Jags. Anyway, that will conclude your episode of Drake's Corner. Thanks for tuning in on this fine Friday. Um, Expect more content. Uh, Yeah, expect more content. That's all I'm going to say here soon. Uh, I'm trying to, you know, revamp the channel, not just, you know, I've been saying this, but I want to do more than just podcasting. So, um, yeah, eventually I'll feel motivated enough to do so so thanks for tuning in uh we're about to reach the uh, 20 minute mark here a little longer one today so uh yep thanks for tuning in and i will see you guys next wednesday i promise i won't be deathly ill again peace